Hello and welcome to Retro Encounter, RPG fans podcast not married to current events. I'm Mike Solosi and I'm your host today and this is episode 125. We have a special topic for you today that I will get into in a few minutes, but first let's introduce my all-star panel for you. First, reviews editor Rob Fenner. Moving on up like the Jeffersons. To a deluxe apartment in the sky, indeed. And another reviews editor, Nick Ransbottom. We finally got a piece of the pie. I think that's the next lyric. That's the last lyric, to which, oh, okay. to which follows a pie that I just butchered. But yes, I'm I'm very pro Jeffersons and and also and also pro All in the Family, which the Jeffersons spun off from. Which was a what a great segue. But before that segue completes, we're going to introduce our fourth panelist, streamer extraordinaire Kyle Courtvilly. Hello, I don't have any Jeffersons references, so we're we're just going to say I'm already up there. <laughs> right on. And just like the Jeffersons was a legendary TV spinoff of All in the Family, and ended up having more ep- episodes than All in the Family. Um, we're going to talk about RPG spinoffs today. Basically, you have an RPG. Usually, it's a established series or at least a popular game. And they, the uh, either the holding company or the developers decide they want to do something different. They want to, you know, show these RPG settings and characters in a new light, or maybe you know they just want to see if they can make some money by creating a a card game version of Warcraft or something. You know, that, what kind of crazy idea would that be? So that's our topic for today. We're going to be talking about our favorite RPG spinoffs, and then at the end, see if we can come up with some ideas for hypothetical spinoffs of our own. So uh, first, um, I'll pick on you, Nick. Do you have a favorite RPG spinoff that basically that mostly fits the topic of what we're doing today? Yeah, actually, I do. It's uh, Pokemon Snap. Oh, yes. Okay. One of my favorite games ever, and I'm still distraught. We never got a version for the Wii or the Wii U or the 3DS. Uh, the latter of which seemed like a natural fit. Um, um, honestly, I thought the the first of those three seemed like a natural fit. Like, uh, like inter- interacting with the Wii Mote like a camera for a mm. new Pokemon Snap makes all the sense in the world. I'm I'm still mm. su- I am surprised that they didn't make a Wii Pokemon Snap, especially since the Wii was such a uh, hugely popular console. Yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not great because I really really love that game. It's one of my uh, favorites ever, uh, and I was so disappointed that we haven't gotten a sequel. Kyle or Rob, do you play any Pokemon Snap? Because I, 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 um, I was, I'm of course aware of it, but I never owned an N64, so I didn't really play much of it. I, I never really owned an N64 either. Um, I had a hand-me-down SNES, uh, then a Genesis, and then I went over to the PlayStation One. But uh, I had uh, many, many times where with my friend, um, I don't know if that, well, tidbit too, with Pokemon Snap, you can actually go into your local, going back in time here, Blockbuster store. Um, and you can actually print out your little photos at their kiosk that you can mm. only get at the Blockbuster store. And I, I used to do that with my friend quite a bit. We, we got so, so excited just to, you know, take pictures of random Pokemon. It was different. It was, it was oddly competitive in a way because you, you get Professor Oku grade you. And uh, it, it's, I, it worked for me because I like photography. And, but, when you're uh, doing photography with Pokemon and then going to the store and say, I, I took this photo of this, you kind of feel proud about it. And that's, that was my highlight of like with Pokemon snap. Yeah. Plus it was, it's uh, it was fun messing around in the Pokemon universe in a way that wasn't, you know, sanctioned animal fights, but uh, Pokemon is Pokemon snap is not the only Pokemon spinoff that exists. Um, uh, are any, anyone here fans of Pokken tournament? It's, I mean, it's the, uh, 
it's I, I think it's a uh, how, I know I know it's 3D rendered, but is it most is it mostly on a 2D plane or is it like Tekken where there's 3D like sidestepping elements outside of being mostly 2D? Uh, it's more like Tekken from what I remember playing of the original version, which I think was on the Wii U, the original console version. Mm. I didn't find it too compelling of a fighting game. Uh, keep in mind, though, I don't normally like fighting games. I'm hmm. awful at them. But the concept intrigued me a lot uh, because I've always been a fan of, you know, those uh, growing up, the uh, the battles in the anime for Pokemon. Mm, sure. Uh, and I thought, you know, oh, a fighting game, you know, you're, you're going to see a lot more action than you would, you know, just a turn-based system. Um, but it was not not compelling gameplay. A little bit of a disappointment and a letdown. Um, but and the roster too, I think, was just not anything to you know write home about. They had some very weird picks, uh, and they left out a a, a good amount of fan favorites. Yeah. Um, now, I, I know that one of the Fennekin evolutions is in it, but isn't it like the middle one or something? That's that's my name. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it might be. You know what? Actually, it might be the middle one. Um, yeah, it's like, like who cares about the middle evolution of a starter? You either want the cute baby one or the like, the supreme ultimate monstrous third one. Like that—that that was a head scratching decision to me. Yeah, it. Uh, like I said, really weird uh, picks for that, and um, there was just nothing that made it stand out to me against you know the other three D fighting games out there. Nothing that made it feel unique, even you know despite the premise, which is a shame. Yeah, it's a good premise. I haven't played it. Uh, again, uh, I mean, to go along with the pattern of me not owning all of the Nintendo consoles, I never owned a Wii U. Uh, but I, uh, I had a lot of fun with my Wii and my Switch. But I, I skipped, I skipped that generation for whatever reason. Uh, so, but I, I know that it does have some popularity within the fighting game community. Like, uh, I don't think it's on the main stage of Evo this year. But it's gonna, there's gonna be, you know, it'll be on some side thing, and there will be some, you know, hotel room first attends for that game which, you know, was true of many fighting games. But uh, staying within the Pokemon universe for now, uh, any of you guys play a lot of Pokemon Puzzle League on the N64? That's one that I personally never played, but always wanted to. <laughs> um, I just, I never could find a copy back when I had my N64. All right, well, Pokemon Puzzle League is basically a Pokemon adaptation of Penel de Pan, which is a puzzle game that's been around for many years. And I played the a lot of the Yoshi's Island version of Penelope Pond that was called Tetris Attack in the United States. So I played a lot of that. I never right. actually got around to Pokemon Puzzle League because of my limited uh, time with an N64. That's fair. Kyle, did you play either of those? Any or any? I think they came out with some Penelope Pond game under that name later. That was you know, that was available in other territories. But um, any of those you play, man? Um, I haven't played Puzzle League. I mean, I, I think I might have seen Puzzle League itself for a little bit but um i played a lot of uh, tetris attack i uh, religiously played that um i'm not as good as my wife but in in some form manner um i i've seen it but i haven't got my hands on it that long <laughs> that i mean i mean it's a it's a very good fundamental puzzle game that's basically a, a basically an early version of a match three that has a lot of sort of head-to-head -head twists on it that i i, yeah, I thought tetris attack not, was great see at all you can no see it's not fit with that localized name it doesn't even have well there are falling blocks but mostly it's rising blocks and mm. um I, I think they really just called it tetris attack just so it would have a, a semi-recognizable name i mean that's why yeah. that that's why second intensity one was called final fantasy adventure 
But I think we're about done talking about Pokemon spinoffs for the time being. Let's roll back a little bit. Uh, Rob Fenner, do you have a favorite kind of spinoff game that you want to um, bring to our attention? I sure do. Uh, and it's a spinoff that uh, went on to Eclipse. It's, uh, it's the RPG that it spun off from, oh. uh, especially in the West, but also in Japan. And that is the Puyo Puyo series. Of oh, Pokemon. okay. Yeah, now I do not have much familiarity with this, so please give me the abridged version of the Puyo Puyo story. So, well, <laughs> the Puyo Puyo story. So <laughs> Puyo Puyo, I guess like the closest, the closest thing you could compare it to is uh, Dr. Mario. Um, slimes fall from the ceiling and you match four slimes of the same color to make them disappear. Uh, but uh, I found out in the 90s or early 2000s uh, that uh, Puyo Puyo is in fact a spin-off of Mado Monogatari, the sorcery story uh, series of uh, originally microcomputer RPGs and then uh, moved on to consoles, uh, which each game tells a different chapter in the life of Arlie Nadja, who uh, people will recognize as like the main playable character in Puyo Puyo as she goes from kindergarten at magic school to... Um, graduating from magic high school and um each of these games uh follows her uh going through a um going through a a big massive dungeon wizardry style but mm. uh you input your spells uh, with the directional buttons or with the joypad to like kind of do like a i i guess a bit like um sabin's uh special moves but oh. not quite as fast and fighty oh okay so they aren't quite you know street fighter super move and in, uh button inputs that's right ah, but you are like you're spells by by pushing buttons in in the correct order um <clears throat> and the uh the puyos who feature in puyo puyo are the uh slimes that um arlie uh ends up you know running up against as you know the, the level one rpg as uh, as they are in just about every franchise uh, whereas, like her other uh, opponents in uh, the Puyo Puyo games, uh, whether it be uh, Skidora the Fishman or Satan himself, uh, are her adversaries or her uh, companions in the uh, in the RPGs. But um, I uh, I always found it peculiar that a series of wizard of very very basic wizardry clones went on to spawn such a uh, ever popular uh, series. Um, Folks may remember the name uh, Mado Monogatari, uh, localized in 2013 as Sorcery Saga: Curse of the Great Curry God, uh, oh. which is a um, yes. Yeah, Compile Heart have the uh, Compile Heart are not Compile. They are definitely not Compile, but they have the trademark to some of Compile's old IPs. So they revived Mado Monogatari as a mystery dungeon clone with. Um, with some cheesecake. Uh, yeah, I, rem- and, uh, I remember Curse of the Curry God just because that subtitle was unusual and yeah. <laughs> and popped You're up there. Even Curry in the original games as well. But, yeah. And speaking um, of pop, I know that there was at least one or two adaptations of Puyo Puyo in the West because I remember the name Puyo Pop mm-hmm. being There's Puyo for... Pop. There was. Uh, and then um, there was a Puyo it's... Tetris from last year that a lot of people played. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. That it's game's so fun. good. So good. Kyle yeah. mentioned earlier, or was it you, Nick, off mic, who mentioned Mean Bean Machine, or was it you, Kyle? Uh, it was me. It was you, Kyle. Um, there, so there was Mean Bean Machine, and then there was Kirby's Avalanche, which I played a lot of. Oh, okay. Kirby's Avalanche is a Puyo clone or, or Puyo adaptation. It, no, it is Puyo. It's Puyo Puyo 2, but with a fresh coat of paint. Oh, fantastic. So it's the 
It's like Kirby doing a Mario Brothers 2 on the Puyo. That's right. Right on. Sometimes it's easy just to compare things in terms of other things, which is something that frustrates me sometimes, but sometimes you got to do it anyway. There's Puyo Puyo Da, the um, dancing game on Dreamcast, which was super bad. <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, that's Puyo Puyo, which is something I'm not very familiar with, even though I've seen, I guess, names of Puyo Puyo adaptations spring up over the years. I guess, in hindsight, the one I've played the most is Kirby's Avalanche, which I wasn't totally aware it was a Puyo clone. Um but all right, Kyle, it's your turn now. Do you have a favorite RPG spinoff that uh, fits the tone we're talking about today? Well, in terms of RPG spinoff, um, I can I can think of kind of a couple of them. But um, my favorite series is probably one of the more Final Fantasy ones. Now, again, uh, I, I technically would have two, but in a sense that the first one would be Dirge of Cerberus for Final Fantasy VII. Um, it was different hmm. because what Dirge of Cerberus did is that it's writing off the coattails of what Final Fantasy VII did, but instead of going after all the main antagonists or protagonists, that is, they focus on Vincent, um, which for whatever reason, the, you know, the tall, dark, and brooding person is probably the most, you know, common thing in a Final Fantasy VII universe. And instead of making it uh, more of an RPG, they go out in the same long lines of making like an action game in a sense, where... You play as Vincent, and you it's a, it's a shooter game. It's an over-the-shoulder shooter game. Um, you get to only have three weapons. Uh, you have his uh, infamous handgun called Cerberus. You also have a sniper rifle, and you also have a machine gun. They all have uh, names. I believe the the rifle, they're all called, like, weapons of some sort like that, like... Uh, no, they, they they all have to give them sort of edge lordy names like in a yeah. like like oh. in a like in a Devil May Cry or a band. Oh, game. I think the sniper rifle is called Hydra. I, I don't have no idea what the machine gun is called, but uh, oh, so I, are they are they all children of Echidna or something? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I think I think they're trying to play off of like Vincent's like I have a dark past type of thing, and uh, I, I, I it never really implies he has other guns aside from the actual game. He does use other guns, but this is probably one of the first ones where they they shove like all these good ideas in this game. Where you have like, you know, health bar, you also have mana in there, which, you know, he can swap out uh, materia for like fire. He shoves it inside his gun. He's an eye has fire bullets and he has ice bullets and everything. Um, the, the, the coolest thing to this game is that it was Japanese only, though. Um, they did have an online multiplayer, which is an extremely rare thing for a PlayStation 2 game. Yeah, it's uh, online multiplayer in the PS2 was a a rough world to go through. I, th I think like and Final Fantasy 11 was one of the pioneers of that. But um, yeah, but like the Call of Duty games at that time, the third and fourth Ratchet and Clank games. There's there there's some weird janky early online console multiplayer on the PS2. Monster Hunter. Okay. <laughs> now you say that, but I, I've spent two podcasts the past few weeks talking a lot about Monster Hunter, so we're not we're not even going to go there now. <laughs> but uh, now I have not played Dirge of Cerberus. It was part of that compilation of FF Seven project that also involved Advent Children and uh, and Crisis Core, which are two things I'm much more familiar with. But is this like an over the shoulder yeah, shoot? Crisis. Oh, right. Yeah, Sorry, <laughs> so many different. It has there's FF Final Fantasy has more crisis terminology things than DC Comics does, which is insane. But um, is it more of an older the sh over the shoulder shooter like uh, like say a Resident Evil four or five, or is it more of a over the top action with a lot of shooting like a Devil uh, Cry? It's more like a re uh, Resident Evil four okay. five ish thing. Um, I it, it it for for a moment it's like criminally underrated. Because it's actually a really good game. It's it's got movie AAA quality as 
titles and they could have used the same animators that did Advent Children, but I think they were making like all these games like Before Crisis and Dirge of Cerberus and Advent Children all together at once so they can just shove it in our faces at one same time. But I, I think it's criminally underrated in the sense that, you know, when people see this game, it's like, oh, it's, it's a crappy mission-based game. You, you go around and start shooting things. And yeah, you can think of it that way. But, you know, with multiplayer side, you know, when you beat the game, it's you can have time attacks it's a lot of play, replayability in the sense that you can just you know get graded on it as well um I, I can definitely see repetitiveness but really it's if you love the series it's it's something that it flew over everyone's heads and or they rolled their eyes because like, oh, no final fantasy 7 game when, when are we going to come up with a remake already type of deals <laughs> And then uh, they even have a companion game on the mobile phone. Um, I, I think it was uh, before before Crisis or whatever, whatever the heck it was. But it started like Vincent before he became Vincent himself when he was inside, uh, uh, you know, the organization before that. And yeah, when, just, when, he, it, when he was a Turk. Yeah, when he was a Turk, exactly. Mm-hmm. I fear that I might be one of those people that was rolling their eyes at that time because, first of all, I don't play a lot of shooters or uh, barely any, in fact. And so when and even though I like FF7 a lot, an FF7 shooter that did not get great reviews was, and especially since I I don't love the character Vincent, was not something I was interested in. But you, but you think it's worth going back and taking a look at this thing? I I, I do. I mean, there's. I mean, also hate the plug. You know, the person that actually did it too. But the the Japanese pop star uh, Gak. Uh, oh. <laughs> Voice oh, in that, wasn't he? Yeah, he's a, he's also I think a Gen- a Genesis or uh, what well, what the heck his yeah. name is. Yeah, he, he, did he was he captured was... for it. He also did the uh, entry song. He also did the ending song. It, it was it just felt like we're getting a lot more inside this game than what it really deserved. And despite that, the other games that came out on, on the uh, the PSP and the, you know the mobile and everything else, I think this specific one, if you had to play it, I mean, is really worth everyone's time. And yeah, you can roll your eyes. Uh, sure. But, you know, it can grow on you. It can easily grow on you. Now, um, going back to Gact for a second, I know that part of the reason why um, Crisis Core is not available digitally on the PSN is because they used Gact's license and not only not just his voice mm-hmm. but, and motion capture in that. And, uh, and uh, like, using his, like, his likeness had a... Um, you know, some kind of statute of limitations in the agreement to do that. So that, that and because that license expired, is why we can't get Crisis Core digitally. Uh, but uh, did was his likeness used in Dirge of Cerberus? Was the Genesis oh, it, character in that? It very much so was. Okay, okay. So that that that, <laughs> not, so that not is also any spoilers uh, during anything else like that. But it definitely was. It was. You might as well just took a photo of him. Okay, so so it was a likeness and not just a voice or just a song. And that and that's I'm sure. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I'm assuming that Dirge of Cerberus is not available on digital services today. And, no, and that would correct. be part of the reason why. Okay. But let, let's stay in the Final Fantasy universe a little bit. Um, uh, and also, all slightly going on to current events, um, Dissidia Final Fantasy is the big fighting game spinoff of the Final Fantasy series. Uh, they, they had two PSP games, one the original Dissidia Final Fantasy, and then a, a, an expanded version called 012 Duo Decum Dissidia Final Fantasy, I think. I might be getting those words in the wrong order. And it was a, a prequel that added seven or eight characters to the roster. Uh, I really enjoyed those two PSP games because the, uh, the action was odd and very like vertical and stylish and had almost and had a lot of sort of RPG uh, customization to it. It, it got, The multiplayer got real weird on that thing, but I had a lot of fun playing with the Final Fantasy main characters and villains uh, on the PSP. And then it had a recent sequel 
that you can find our review on um, from a, a few weeks ago, or maybe I'm not sure. Maybe it's over a month by now. By the time this posts, from Alana, and she did not like the new Dissidia much at all. In fact, the new Dissidia has a much colder reception than the PSP one did. So, um, uh, starting with you, Nick, uh, do, what are your thoughts on Dissidia in general? Did you play much of it? Uh, I did actually. I played both of the PSP games. Uh, I loved them for whatever reason. I thought they were very uh, engaging and uh, borderline addictive. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, I put a stupid number of hours into it. Not, yeah, not, not, not at a Monster Hunter level, but at a at a very high for a PSP game level. Same. And unfortunately, I have played the new Dissidia, and I'm not sure if they changed the gameplay drastically, uh, or if like my memory of the gameplay, you know, it, it doesn't hold up today. But for whatever reason, NT is just a mess. Like, I, I really genuinely actively dislike that game. I, I feel like it's a little too chaotic. Um, and it's it's a lot of button mashing. It doesn't feel as engaging as I uh, felt the PSP games were. Uh, I think the they expanded the focus for it to be three-on-three, three, which I don't think... The originals were just one-on-one, right? Yes. Yeah. So the three the 3v3... Three three, is um i don't want to say too ambitious but it's definitely not something i think they executed very well uh and it, it ends up just being i don't know there's not there's not a story mode per se you have to battle and get points to unlock nodes to get cutscenes, and i guess eventually battles i honestly did not even bother with that i played around a bit with free play and and whatnot and it's just, it's it's just not fun, and it, it's a shame. I played a little bit of NT at E3 last year, and it was hard to get a game of it since the since the lines were unusually long in the uh, Square Enix booth. But also, it was just total chaos and confusion trying to play it itself. I I, I won the round that I played, but I'm not sure exactly how. And and it was, yeah. it, was it was three player co op. I think one of the other players had been playing it over and over or something. But uh, it, again, I don't think it's helped by the expansion to three on to three v three, and it uh, is definitely not as fun or engaging as the PSP ones. Um, Kyle, did you play any um, Dissidia, whether it's the PSP ones or the recent PS4 one? I have not played the recent one. I, I played the hell out of the uh, other two for the PSP, uh, especially the first one. Um, there was something about the first one that I, I think attached myself to, and it, it might have been because uh, they had all these characters, like you know. Um, all the original Final Fantasy characters kind of getting in and just doing their battle and everything. And I, I didn't really feel like it was repetitious, but it, it felt really nice to play. And I kind of liked it in the second game, but um, I have not played the, the latest one, so I, I really don't have any opinion on it. But uh, based on what I've seen and everything, it looks nice, but I, from what uh, from what we said previously, uh, I heard the gameplay is like... Ugh. Yeah, to um, spoiler alert for the review that's on the website, the number that Alana gave it is not a passing grade in many American high schools. Just to just throw that out there. Um, mm. uh, Rob, Rob, did you play much Dissidia? Oh, um, I tried that first game uh, on PSP, and I couldn't really make head or tail of it. Um, it kind of reminded me of like those the Budokai games or the Tenkaichi games, those those <laughs> 3D Dragon Ball Z fighters where you're zooming all over the place in the sky. There is a lot of zooming um, so, around in the Dissidia games. That's that's for damn sure. So I had no idea what I was doing, and like I wasn't all that engaged because like I don't, 
I'm not the biggest fan of those like let's make everything crossover um, types of well crossovers. Um, they just don't do a lot for me. So <laughs> I didn't um, I didn't really feel very motivated to try and learn what I was doing. Um, and then I did play a bit of NT at E3, and I didn't know what I was doing there either, and I did not have a good time. So I think this is just um, I think it's just a series that isn't for me, but. I mean, if if everybody, if the opinion, if the wider opinion seems to be that NT is even more like baffling um, <laughs> than than I thought the original PSP game was, then like, wow! I mean, it must be. I don't know. It sounds like they've really done something wrong there. I think they just didn't capture the well, whatever made the PSP ones, you know, fun. I think it was the battles were a little e more or something. Yeah, I think they were. Uh, yeah, and, I, I think this new one was designed with a with esports potential in mind. Yes, mm. and the originals, like uh, the originals, the battles just felt like more intimate. I guess, uh, you know, it, with the one on one focus, and I felt they were a little more, for lack of a better word, like epic. You know what I mean? Uh, they were uh, a bit flashier to me. Uh, not to say NT is not flashy, uh, but that's about all it is: is spectacle. No substance. All right. Now, uh, we're basically in agreement that there was an addictive quality and fun in those PSP ones in this, and uh, maybe less so in the new one. But um, before we close the door on Dissidia, quickly, Nick and Kyle, Nick first, uh, who's your main? Uh, it was Titus. Right on. And Kyle? Uh, <laughs> I had technically two, but I mainly used uh, Squall. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah, I I had probably two as well, but my main in uh. You bring a sword to a gunfight? <laughs> no, I brought daggers to a gunfight. I uh, Zidane was my main. Mm. Okay. Yeah, he, he could do like a, a invincible jumps and stuff. It was a he, he was an agile mofo. But anyway, let's uh, uh Rob, um, give us the uh, tell us a little bit about theater rhythm because I I played a lot of curtain call, but I that one sort of came and went for me. It's um, I guess the closest comparison would be Owendan or um, Elite Beat Agents, where you, it's a. Oh, um, Wendan. Sorry, that's the one. Mm -hmm. I, um, I own all three of those. <laughs> you're following following the bouncing ball with a stylus, uh, and while you were doing so, um, it's two different uh, tunes from uh, Final Fantasy. I think they eventually added some tracks from Chrono Trigger and Romancing Saga um, through. DLC and this game got a lot of DLC. Um, and, I'm not and there was also a, there was also a Japan only uh, theater rhythm Dragon Quest that they created. Yeah, well. I'm really jealous. I want that. <laughs> I've got a Japanese 3DS now. I should probably see if I can get that. So, yeah, go for um, it. But 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 yeah, they, they added a lot mm -hmm. of DLC to it, and the song list, including DLC or even not including DLC, is pretty staggering. Isn't it like over 200 songs? I I don't have a number for you, but I remember mm -hmm. just just my eyes widening at looking at the track list. Almost everything you would possibly want is in there. Yeah, for real. Um, there's arrangements. There's the original chip tunes. It's really um, it's really a treat for the ears. And um, w one of the things that I heard um, people praising uh, Dissidia about is that it's like a ticker tape parade of um, unlockables and fan service and fun stuff that. Um, you get just from playing the game and um, theater rhythm is no slouch in that regard. You're always unlocking more characters and like this very, and they're, they're illustrated in this cute kind of like segmented, like marionette style. Um, so you can, you know, build, build out your party of your favorite heroes of which there are many. And um, 
unlock more songs and go through uh, little little quests to complete a range of songs to unlock even more songs and to fight bosses, uh, which are well, they're just more um, rhythm battles. But who cares? That's what's that's what you're there for. Um, so the way it's just giving you like hand over fist. Look here, have all this have all these wonderful songs that you like and play through it with whatever character you like. Um, it, it really, uh, it, it really captures that celebratory kind of festival. Yeah, you're right. And, um, the, and also the nature of concert rewards, you mentioned a ticker tape parade, like you're always unlocking a costume or a character or more songs with almost everything you're doing, especially in the early goings when you don't have anything unlocked is, yeah. is, uh, is, is very so fun. fun. It's, it's just a total celebration of final fantasy, um, the music in particular. And if you like mm-hmm. final fantasy music, I mean, why the hell aren't you already playing this thing? Uh, Kyle, you said you played a, you, a lot of Curtain Call as well? Um, I, I've actually missed the first one, uh, only because is that uh, I, I guess I wanted to play it, but I guess I didn't have a, a 3DS or a DS at the time. It was 3DS, yeah. Um, but I got Curtain Call, and oh, God, uh, it absorbed my life over anything. I, I hate to say I rarely go ahead and spend money on DLC, but my God, it, it had Chrono Trigger inside of there. It, it had like other stuff from other Square games, and then like I, I, I couldn't stop playing it because I love rhythm games, especially the ones you just do with your hands, not with your feet, um, because I'm, I'm okay with that. But uh, I don't know. I, I agree with you that it's kind of like a ticker take parade of quite literally of you going down, um, playing the uh, songs. Like I usually do it just like to have a chill out day. Like I'll play like, two or three of my songs I know I feel really good at. And then Sometimes I'll do story mode, and it's basically it'll be a mix-up of like you know journey songs, or, and then sometimes it's uh, really hard songs and everything. And then there's, there's definitely challenge there. Um, I always try it on the the middle medium difficulty. I rarely try it on hard unless I'm being sadistic that day. Um, but it's it's a very it's a very relaxing game. I, I should say it's uh, I, I rarely play games that are pretty good for your like mental purposes like. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it, it's it's very stimulating in a way. You listen to music, and yet you're playing the music too. So it's it's very nice. Now you you mentioned the the tonal differences and the difficulty changes you could make, and and maybe and I was able to play songs on hard for the mo- on for as long as I was playing the game. Again, I played it for like three weeks, and then I just mm-hmm. sort of stopped playing it. But because maybe it's because I'm very comfortable with this kind of game. I mean, I I beat the two O end on games and elite beat agents on expert, but. Uh, like you can do a journey song and have it mostly be just just like carefully holding your stylus and you know settling into a more medium tempo like like low intensity song or do a a a you know battle on the big bridge or something that is just a fury of button presses fitting mm-hmm. uh, fitting along with it it's like for a rhythm game uh where rhythm games mostly always go always sort of skew to the more intense the uh Kurt, theater rhythm and and curtain call and probably also the Dragon Quest one allow you to you know, like settle into more mellow <laughs> button pressing experiences for uh, for at least certain tracks, which is which I thought was cool. Now, uh, Nick, I, I don't want to talk to you about theater rhythm Final Fantasy specifically, but you and I talked about this off mic a while ago, like not not even today. Isn't there a, a Square Enix series conspicuously missing from the theater rhythm DLC? Yes, we uh, we have not gotten Theater Rhythm Kingdom Hearts yet, which boggles my mind. You say yet, so you <laughs> so you think that you think that maybe maybe in even in the window of the release of Kingdom Hearts three, do you think that is something that could be in our future? 
not within the window of Kingdom Hearts 3, but I, I am holding out hope. Uh, it keeps dwindling as the years go by, uh, but I think it would just be insane not to do uh, a Kingdom Hearts version because those soundtracks uh, are just just incredible. Uh, Shimamura is one of the, she's my favorite composer personally for video games. Uh, and I think the actual style and aesthetic of Kingdom Hearts lends itself well to the aesthetic of theater rhythm. Yeah, Shimamura is beloved and excellent. And it, I, I, and when I, when it was pointed out to me that there was no Kingdom Hearts DLC in any of the theater rhythm games, that made me immediately think, oh, they're going to do a dedicated Kingdom Hearts one of these. Maybe closer to when Kingdom Hearts 3 comes out. And I'm, I'm a little surprised it hasn't already happened. But here we are. Um, I, I, I guess it, we're, we're not sure if we're gonna if we'll ever get that. But it, I think if Square Enix ever decides they want to revisit Theater Rhythm, Theater Rhythm Kingdom Hearts would be the uh, ideal place to start. And a popular system with a big shiny touchscreen like the Switch might be the place to do it. I mean, there is a rhythm game on the Switch um, that I cannot remember the name of. So. I, I, it would be a good fit. And with Theater Rhythm 2, um, you, know, you could alternate between touch input and buttons and shoulder buttons. Right, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it could definitely work on the Switch. All right. So I think, we've, I think we're going to move on from Final Fantasy for now, go, go down another spot on the list. But let's stay in the realm of rhythm games for a minute. Uh, Persona 4 Dancing All Night, which is getting two sequels, Persona 3 Dancing Moon Knight and Persona 5 Dancing Star Knight later this year. That is... Before too long, five Persona rhythm games featuring remixes of all of that wonderful Shoji Maguro music. Uh, and now, um, I guess, uh, Rob, I know that you're into a lot of SMT games. Uh, did you play Persona 4 Dancing All Night? I sure didn't. Um, oh man, it is a, bad segue, uh, my bad. Yeah, no, it's all right. It's, uh, it's a reskin of a Hatsune Miku game. Um, I yeah. tried the demo of the Hatsune Miku game, and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, very, very busy on screen. I couldn't follow it. Uh, I was going to get Dancing All Night, and then I heard that it was uh, like a canon story about everybody being forced to dance. And I was uh, like, mm, it, it's, it's, I mean, don't, the I don't the need this. The Persona 4 canon story looks like it was already shut out of a canon. It's a completely, it's a complete mess. Yeah, um, yeah it like, is. And so, but this um, is a, yeah, this is a uh, uh, shoot. It takes place in like some spring break or something mm-hmm. after the events of Persona 4, and they all have to, they're all forced to dance to rescue um, four or five pop idol girls. I mean, no, no, I think four pop idol yeah. girls and their manager plus a fifth one. I mean, it's it's a it's a mess, but uh, like I, I, opinion, I, um, the Persona Four <laughs> soundtrack is probably one of my least favorite Persona soundtracks. Oh. I like heart, I like Heartbeat, Heartbreak a lot, and um, I think I'd be hard pressed to tell you um, many other songs that I like. I so. really like Your Affection, and mm-hmm. um, I really like the uh, the dungeon the dungeon music for the he- for the heaven. Uh, for the heaven level in Persona 4, mm-hmm. I really like those are my two favorite Persona 4 tracks, and both of them have very good remixes in Dancing All Night. Even though the story is uh, it's, it's kind of a mess. I don't. Uh, it it goes into the theme of you know your outer self versus your true self, the way that uh, Persona 4 does, and 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 many Persona games do. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm not going to defend the story. The, uh, the the I might act- give Dancing All Three. Um, a look because I really like that game soundtrack. But um, Dancing Moon Knight is that one. But yeah, uh, you, one. Okay. Yeah, don't you want to like you know dance with Akihiko Senpai in a hoodie or something? 
Well, uh, yeah. Obvious, obviously. Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm interested in that one a little bit. Okay. Uh, um, Kyle, did you play Dancing All Night, or are you interested in, in any of them? Um, I've... Uh, I haven't had I have I don't own a Vita uh, for one I have a PlayStation TV um, because reasons I I really did like Persona 4's music quite a bit uh, although uh, Persona 5 came around and I'm like mm, they should make a game out of this one too <laughs> and they will and they will yeah that's exactly right um, but I I personally have not got a chance to uh, really dive into this game I feel like I would enjoy it kind of like it did with the uh, the rhythm Final Fantasy. But since, in a way, I'm not the, the, and no one out there take offense to this, I'm not the most biggest Persona fan or enthusiast out there. I do respect the game. I have played the games before, but I usually just play it once and I get frustrated because I can't get the right relationship to go right. And, and like I put the game down for like a week or two and I forget where the heck I was. So, yeah, I mean, those, those are long games that are, uh, it's, yeah, if, if you put, put one down after, uh, a period of several weeks, it could be it. It can you could feel lost going back to it. Um. So Nick, did you play Dancing All Night, or are you interested in any of these? Uh, I loved Dancing All Night. Okay, uh, but I I do love the Hatsune Miku rhythm games. Um, and ha- uh, sorry to interrupt you, but Hatsune Miku is a downloadable character in Persona 4 Dancing All Night. I was going to say that. And yeah. I can't remember if that was accurate or no, not. No, no, it is. It's not I, like a fever dream. 100% accurate. Yeah, I think, like she, I, think, I think she only gets a couple songs that you can use her on, but it's a, it is totally DLC that you can use. It, um, I'm going to say with the story, I didn't mind it that much. Uh, I, I kind of liked that it was so wacky and goofy. And I don't think Persona 4 had a very good story. In comparison to the other Persona games, agreed. Uh, not as bland as Persona Five, uh, but you know the characters are what made Persona Four, you know, for me, uh, not the story. So I didn't mind, you know, the embracing the wacky nature of uh, the concept. I actually liked that it embraced the wacky nature of the concept. It leaned into it, and I thought that worked in its favor. Um, I prefer theater rhythm in terms of like actual. Uh, rhythm gameplay uh, instead of just you know pressing buttons at the right specific time theater rhythm you know had the flicks and everything that you had to do but um, and there's definitely I, there's definitely more songs and more content in, in theater rhythm there Maybe. is and I think the rhythm gameplay itself in theater rhythm is just a tad more engaging but I do really enjoy dancing all night um, I agree it's not really my favorite persona soundtrack uh, I liked threes more and i like fives the best um but you know it's it's a very good game it's it's fun it's simple it's uh flashy it, i don't know it's it's enjoyable yeah it, it, i mean i think that what that game has as an advantage over mo- many um rhythm games including theater rhythm is that flashiness it's i mean you're getting you're getting big goofy dancing versions of the persona 4 cast which is a pretty beloved cast i would say and uh like you they summon their personas for like for musical finishing moves <laughs> whenever you complete a stage uh it's it's real goofy i full disclosure i'm a big fat persona fanboy and i platinumed dancing all night which is hey. which is not that hard. You just have to unlock everything and then beat one song on uh on the highest difficulty and beat one song without missing any notes. And so I, so it I only played it for um, again a couple weeks maybe and I was able to platinum it without 
without tearing my hair out. But uh, I think it's a, a flashy but somewhat, you know, empty calories kind of rhythm game. It, the, the remixes are cool. I um, I got the special edition that came with a full soundtrack, which was nice. Is that like four discs? Uh, it's two discs, and one disc is all of the remix remixes, mm. and one and original music, and one disc is the mostly the original versions of the songs in the game. Mm. So it's like it's about like a quarter of the Persona 4 soundtrack and then a bunch of remix tracks. But uh, it might not be a complete one. It's just the one that came with the special edition. So I'm, I'm not 100% certain on that. But it has, it has stuff like menu mu- music in it. So it's, I think it probably has most of them. But let's talk about a different Persona 4 adaptation that also has a pretty good soundtrack, shockingly. And that's Persona 4 Arena. If I had to pick a favorite RPG spinoff on this list, I might go Persona 4 Arena. Because, I mean, again, I, I like Persona a lot. Persona, a lot in general, and maybe four in particular, but I think this is also one of the best Arc System Works games. It is, it is not as technically complex as a uh, as you know a late coming Guilty Gear or Blast Blue game, but uh, there the characters have tremendous variety. There, it's more accessible than any other Arc System Works game, but the, there's still a lot of depth and a lot of a lot of weird technical stuff going on, and it. it it's just a really, really good 2D fighting game with some really interesting gimmicks. Like, I mean, Naoto, she has a countdown timer that goes down whenever you hit someone with one of her trap spells or, or with a super move. And if she goes, and if you get the counter from 13 to 0, then any of her super moves will be an instant kill. <laughs> and, like, right. every character has some kind of prevailing gimmick like that. That's sort of the game within a game of playing that character. And I... I I thought Persona 4 Arena was awesome and got all the DLC and played the sequel, Persona 4 Arena Ultimax, and, and, and I, I liked it a lot. I, I, Persona 5 Arena can't get here soon enough. But I'm, again, I'm a longtime fan of 2D, of 2D fighters. Uh, Nick, my favorite um, Yoko Shimomura soundtrack is probably Street Fighter 2. <laughs> I have not listened to the Street Fighter 2 soundtrack, unfortunately. She, uh, um, well, I, I'm, Capcom was a little weird back in the day. For a lot of their games, they sort of had soundtracks by committee. But Shimomura was on the Capcom team that did several of their games in the early 90s, and she reportedly did more than half of the Street Fighter II soundtrack. So she will be near and dear to me for that reason alone forever. Nick, but, have, have you gotten this far in life without hearing Guile's theme? No, I have heard that one. Okay. Uh, that was a meme for about a solid six months. I was going to say. So, yeah. No, no, it's, uh, and it's, it's meme-worthy. It's a beautiful piece of music. It is. It is. Yeah, in the, uh, the Street Fighter II soundtrack is a, is a good... Um, early 90s fighting game soundtrack. But, any, but anyway, I like 2D Fighters a lot. I like Persona 4 a lot. The music in Persona 4 Arena is really good, and I I even bought the six-track like pre-order uh, remix CD that came with it. It was only like like five bucks resale at this uh, at this thrift store near my house because I, I didn't get an, like an early copy of Persona 4 Arena. But uh, it, I, I, in fact, you know what? I think I'm going to make one of the either the intro or the outro to this podcast something from that disc. I I haven't decided yet, but it will happen. But I I like Persona 4 Arena a lot. Have any have any of you guys played it? Um uh, I really like it. Okay. Oh, oh, so you did play some of it, Rob. Uh yeah, I've got the first game. Uh I bought the special edition of that, which in this country um it came with all of Chie's buttons. Um so I like that. But it also came with like a jigsaw puzzle, which is kind of unusual, but hey, why not? Um, and it came, oh yeah, it came with a carrier bag and I was using that as my lunch bag for a while, but then it wore out really quickly. Um, so w- what I like the most about this game is Arc System Works beautiful sprite work. And, oh, it's so good. 
seeing these characters from Persona 4 and Persona 3, who we previously only saw as like kind of stubby, like not SD, but like kind of kind of stubby um, polygonal models, uh, seeing them in like full sized, beautifully animated Guilty Gear style um, sprites with this range of incredible animation. Um, and then, you know, the personas that they uh, unleash a bit like the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Capcom game. On well, top okay. of that, let's be real. JoJo stands directly in form persona, the, the persona of persona, like straight up. And, and, and also all similar anime things like, you know, like Scryed and anything where you summon a personal buddy. Mm-hmm. That, that's all straight from JoJo. Hmm. Um, yeah, the game is absolutely beautiful. It's a joy to play. Um, I got Ultimax when it was free on PS Plus maybe a year and a half ago, but I haven't tried it yet. Uh, that's got the naughty boy, Dot, um, who I would like to try playing as, but um, I'll, I'll get around to it eventually. Um, the story in Ultimax is, uh, well, okay, the story in the Persona... Story really trash. Yeah, it, it's awful, and it takes so long, because it's basically just a oh, visual, novel with, visual novel with far too many, you know, uh, like, like, like character flags you have to add navigate through and uh yeah, dialogue if navigate through and it's it's each character has their own story path and then like you get to the end of one and it's like oh you can't beat this yet to be continued go beat another one and then you like you have to like do all the it's characters so long and it, it's better it's better in i don't want to read about ga chasing after ache and in <laughs> ultimax is a little better like they do the yeah. injustice mortal Kombat thing where you uh you like um, you'll go through the story, and uh, one character will do a few battles, and then you'll switch to another character, and by the end, you'll have used the entire cast, and and or maybe for some fights, you'll get the choice of a few different people to use, and uh, it, it, like it's like the Capcom JoJo game. A little, yeah, yeah, you know, a little bit. Um, but it's it, it's much better handled or better executed in, in Ultimax, but the story itself is still complete nonsense. Um, like in the first one, they introduce a sort of a uh, a prototype version of Igis named uh, named Labris, who talks with a Brooklyn accent. Yeah, she she spoke with I think, uh, probably with a uh, with a Kansai dialect or something in the uh, in the yeah. Japanese version. But they translate that into a very hardcore New York accent that is a little grating. Um, and then there's a character named named Sho, who's sort of the central new character of Ultimax, and I don't think either of them are particularly good or interesting. It's, yeah, it's, it's I read about what his deal is. And, yeah, and and it's, like, it's, not, it's, it's not great. Um, and, and, but, uh, but the new characters they introduce in Ultimax are good. Having Ken and Kuramaru fight as a team they, where you have to sort of like ice climbers your way through them by ma- uh, manipulating both of them at once is pretty wild. That's pretty funny. And, uh, and um, Yukari becoming an actress in, in, a, in, in, the, uh, in the Phoenix Ranger Featherman mm. show and Junpei being a Little League coach I think are very cute adaptations of, of uh, who they are. So mm. I... Like I, I like a lot of the design and a lot of the comp- combat and the music in both Persona 4 Arena games, but their story. Don't play these games for their story. Oh no. Uh, Kyle, did you play any either of these? Uh, my friend maybe uh, Rage Cradle one of them. Let's put it that way. Uh, I'm not too much of a, a ginormous uh, uh, 2D, 3D fighting game person. Um, the, the last game I've really got into that was really much fighting game was like um, uh, Gundam Versus. But uh, beyond that, um, EX Gundam Versus came out only a few months did. ago, and it's it's super good. It is. It's not as good. Uh, it's probably better than the the other one that just came out very recently. But uh, 
But in terms of uh, Persona 4, uh, I, I've, I was a punching bag. Let's just put it that way. Um, I was a random button masher. Uh, I, I liked it. Um, it didn't help that I played it at the time before I played Persona 4, so I had absolutely no idea who the characters were at the time. So uh, it, it was quite legitimately my friend gave me the controller and said, hey, play me. And, of course, he played the game far more than I have. And uh, needless to say, I was just like, I was, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm never playing this game ever again. And I unfortunately held true to that one. But uh, it's enjoyable when I watch other people play and when they actually both people have skill to it. So, Nick, did you play much of it? I don't think I I've talked to you yet. I have played none of it, so I cannot <laughs> contribute to this conversation in the least. In general, I think Persona 4 Arena is a really good 2D fighting game with a truly awful story that makes the whole of Persona 4's story seem worse. It's a game I've played a lot, and I, I really like the soundtrack as well. But we, we're, we've we been talking a lot about these different games, and we still have a, a big list to go down. Um, let's completely jump to, back to Nintendo, but not Pokemon this time. Uh, there's a there was a Zelda spinoff called Link's Crossbow Training from many years ago. Was that now? Please correct me if I'm wrong. I think that was attached to the Wii around the same time Twilight, Twilight Princess. Princess came out. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think it was a launch game, wasn't it? It was. Okay. Is is I have not played that at all. Um, but even though I have played Twilight Princess and have played many things on the Wii, is is it good? Um. Yeah. Uh. It's it's hands down like it's different. Because you, it's in the exact same graphical style as Twilight Princess in many ways, but um, they, well, I can't say they force you, but it, it, it's hilariously they give you, uh, I forget what it was called, but it's like this little uh, gun rack looking thing that you can get as an accessory of many accessories that the Wii had. And they, they really want you to have that rack in order to play the game. But if you don't, then you just hold it, you know, in a certain way. But anyway, it's like target practice with, with Link. And they actually have, and this is surprising. It's enjoyable. There's no story to it, but there's just missions. But they're good missions, and they make you really try your hardest to, you know, do as much as you possibly can. You know, they have defender missions where you just basically you remain stationary, you just look all the way around and hit all the targets on the enemies, and then you have target shooting, and then you, uh, you know, I think there's like a third mode or something like that. But it, it was it was definitely one of those hitting gems that you were just given with the game and it's just like here's the game go ahead and play it for the wii and you know it, it, it i guess this was one one of the most high uh um highly receptive games because they gave it to you for free and it was like one of the most uh highest grossing games out there because they once again gave it to you when the wii came out but uh it was it was different but i thoroughly enjoyed it as a shooter and it, and it worked really well for link all right, so uh, Rob, have you played this one? I I, I don't have any commentary at all. Uh, don't kiss me. I'm in training. Um, no, I didn't play this one. Um, I got a Wii very, very late. Um, I got my Wii in 2010 to play, I want to say to exclusively to play Fragile Dreams, and then I ended up building up quite a little library <laughs> um, over the course of the next couple of years. Um, I, yeah, like I, I could see myself probably trying it out and having some fun, like if the Wii had launched and I got it free with a Wii. But you know, as it stands, like it's 2010. I've bought a Wii for like 50 pounds. I'm, I don't think I need to buy the training game, <laughs> you know. So I, I just kind of missed the boat on it. But not to throw shade at it. Yeah, I mean, me, me too. I got a Wii slightly late, and I played Twilight Princess years earlier on the GameCube. So yeah, same here. Yeah. So I. Uh... Yeah, I this one I just totally skipped over this one. How about you, Nick? Nope, I skipped over it too. 
All right. Uh, I wasn't really big into Zelda when I was growing up, so I just it had no appeal for me. Well, okay, I can't say that about myself. I have I've been played and enjoyed Zelda for many years, and there is one less Zelda spin-off that we want to talk about here and now whether you Tangle think Zelda trip. <laughs> oh was that oh the uh what was it called freshly picked tingles uh rupee wonderland or something what yeah was that? That, there, there is that but there's also okay. tingles balloon okay <laughs> well i wasn't going to talk about either of the uh of the tingle <laughs> uh entries I, although i think he might be playable in this one i'm not positive but there is that, Hyrule... that rupee wonderland game is weird it's a little bit like tulip it's made by um x um Next love to leave people, so it's got a, it's got some weird stuff going for it. But anyway, we're what not a, ga- about. a game with Tingle have some weird stuff going for it. Wow, never would <laughs> yeah. have guessed, never. But uh, maybe he is playable in this one. I haven't I haven't played much of it yet. But there is Hyrule Warriors, the Muso spinoff, or perhaps Dynasty Warriors spinoff. If you aren't if you if you aren't aware of the series title Muso, um, the the it's a, a series made by I think Koei Tecmo for the most part. Yeah, Omega Force. Omega Force, uh, yeah, right. It's which one is... of their internal studios. Right, okay. I, I don't... You know, I've played so few of these games over the years. I don't think I've ever owned one before, other than the first Dragon Quest Heroes. But one of my friends buys almost every Dynasty Warriors and Samurai Warriors and Orochi Warriors games. So I've played many of them with him over the years. But I had never played Hyrule Warriors. Uh, uh, let's start with you, Kyle. Have you played Hyrule Warriors, and is it meaningfully different from the other Musou games that are maybe that had been around for longer? Not any different. Um, I <laughs> obsessively played it with my wife quite a bit. Um, I I did not get any DLC though when uh, when it first came out for the I believe the Wii uh, Wii U. I think it's yeah Wii yeah. U. And uh, you know it does share a stupid amount of stuff from Dynasty Warriors quite a bit. Except it's Zelda. All, all everything Zelda franchise, everything you know and loved about Zelda, every freaking person you can see inside the Zelda franchise is shoved in that game, and it works in a way. I I I enjoyed it. I, I had uh, at least three good characters that I can I can definitely play as. Uh, but uh, I you know in a way um you know it might seem repetitive to somebody else, but it it didn't feel repetitive. Didn't feel repetitive leveling up each character that you wanted to level up. I mean, not all characters, but it might be different. Well, if, if you if you like the gameplay loop well enough, then any grinding doesn't feel like grinding. Oh, but, no. if, um, but if they uh, like, if you like the if you like the setting and characters and the gameplay is at least functional, then it probably is likable enough. Uh, and uh, Nick or Rob, did you play Hyrule Warriors? Uh, I did. I actually uh, I love that game. Oh, all right. Yeah. Um, I play. I have it on the Wii U, but. I've retired my Wii U, so I play the new Nintendo 3DS version, uh, which is not great frame rate-wise. It uh, drops to, like, the single digits sometimes if uh, you're playing on an original 3DS. Um, but no, it's, it's, a, it's a fun game. Uh, I think there's a real variety to the weapons for each character. Um, so whoever you're playing as, it feels very unique and different. Um, the the aesthetic was very charming uh and i i did i enjoyed the gameplay loop cool and uh, uh rob did you play much of hyrule warriors yeah i'm afraid this is one that i've missed out on right. um i only play the occasional muso game um i do like zelda games but like i don't have like a super attachment to the cast of any of them so 
it wasn't really enough to to get me in. I I did notice. I did notice a year or two ago that one of the last pieces of DLC was my boy Ravio from A Link Between Worlds. And oh, he, really? And he, and he uses magic rods and the hammer and the I think a boomerang, which is which mm. you know fits which fits his his character. So if mm-hmm. I were to ever play, prob- it would probably be the, uh, uh, the the inevitable Switch remake, which may already be announced. I'm not positive about that, but like I, I might play it eventually, but I haven't yet. But it's not the only Muso game on our little list here. There's also Fire Emblem Warriors, which came out I think second half of last year, like maybe in the summer or fall. Yeah, I think it was the fall. I think like, right. Yeah. I, I I know it did come out last year because uh, one of our reviewers, Nathan Lee, gave it a very high score. He he loved that game a lot, and uh, it's looks like it's very rewarding fan service for Fire Emblem fans and a very competent Musou game in general. Did any of us play that? I, I haven't yet. Uh, I have. I haven't, but yeah, Nick, uh, go right ahead. Yeah, so it's... um, I don't know. I'm not too big on Fire Emblem. I like the gameplay. I just have not played a lot of the games. I, I got into it well, with Awakening. Um, so as someone who's not really big into Fire Emblem, I thought it was fine. You know, uh... It's very, very fun still. Um, they did implement the weapon triangle uh, mechanic, but it just, the story is just so bad. And it's, it's, it's hard. It was hard for me to keep playing. Um, they did include a mode that, like, uh, oh goodness, it's like a historical mode where you like fought. Uh, on this grid-based map, and you would go to different nodes and then play out a battle, uh, which was fun and had a lot of replay value. But yeah, I just I wasn't too big on it. All right, uh, Kyle, did you play Hyrule Warriors? And uh, I, oh, wait, no, wait, no, you already wait. No, I'm sorry. Did you play Fire Emblem Warriors? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have. Um, I kind of agree with Nick on that one. Um, I I'm a big Fire Emblem fan in in more ways than one. But um, more than uh, one way. Yeah, yeah. Oh. There's I I got it. You know what? You know what? Let, let's end that right line of questioning. Like, yeah, I'm just uh, keep talking don't, about don't, Fire Emblem Warriors, my man. Just don't. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. All right. I already. Um, I, reg- I have some regrets, but continue. On on like comparison to Hyrule Warriors versus Fire Emblem Warriors, how I love this the story that they have for Hyrule Warriors was actually really decent. The story that they have for Fire Emblem Warriors, not as good. I love the characters for Fire Emblem Warriors. I I I just as much as love the characters for Hyrule Warriors. The problem is, is that I that's that's where my love for the game actually just stops. Um, I I love the characters, I love the series, but the gameplay just felt recycled in some way or another. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, with the, the the grid system they had there for the special story modes, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, again, not to compare it to High Wars, it just almost felt like they looked at High Wars like I'm just going to take this and morph it into Fire Emblem, and that's what we're going to do, and. Uh, I'm not saying I didn't hate the game because I rarely use the word hate, but I, I I really just didn't like it as much. I'd rather play Hyrule Warriors than Fire Emblem Warriors. Hmm, all right. Now, uh, our third, you know, Musa Warriors game on our list here is Dragon Quest Heroes, which I, get, I don't know why they called it that because they could have gone with Dragon Warriors and it would have been a reference to, like, the, you know, the, uh, the old localized name for them and it would have worked great but it never maybe has... somebody else has the copyright now i wonder possibly i mean the, the reason that they had to change it in the first place was because dragon quest was a some kind of i think hero quest or D copyright that they had yeah tsr had it for right. uh, one of their offshoots right but anyway it's called dragon quest heroes there's two of them and a compilation of the two is coming out for the switch later this year but 
I played the first one. It's competent Musou gameplay and really well animated uh, uh, characters and monsters in the in the Dragon Quest universe. The new characters aren't even that bad, but really it felt it felt empty to me. It's like I I didn't finish it. I don't even think I got terribly far. And uh, the grind was very real in that game. Even though I love Dragon Quest characters and uh, and monsters, and it looks like the Dragon Quest two uh, Dragon Quest Heroes two uh, handles it a little better, but it's still still not you know, that sweet spot. It is older than Hyrule Warriors and Fire Emblem Warriors, so I think those are two a little bit more refined than Dragon Quest Heroes is. But I hear that 2 addresses, like, a okay. lot of the issues, but, I mean, I haven't played it myself, and I've got a very similar take on uh, the first Heroes as you do, Mike. Um, I love seeing those characters in 3D, but there's just something about it that just, it just didn't keep me coming back in the way that, like, I don't know, like the One Piece game did. Yeah, um, One Piece Pirate Warriors, which is not bad, and uh, like it's so cute. It, it, it's also about a, about a you know the closest you can get to living out the fantasy of that anime, since it, like it like the audio and visuals are straight out of the anime for that game. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's I, I'm not a big Musou fan, so and even though I'm I love Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest Heroes didn't quite do it for me. But I mean, your mileage may vary, depends on how much you love these settings and how much you like that gameplay, but. If you have attachments to either of those, it could be exactly the game for you, just like um, just like Nathan playing Fire Emblem Warriors or Kyle playing Hyrule Warriors. So we're working our way down this list, and we did just talk about Dragon Quest a little bit, so let's continue down that path. Um, <laughs> they adapted the sort of Pachisi mini-games from a couple old Dragon Quest games from the 90s into a full-on video board game called Itadaki Street. Uh, I many years ago i don't i i think the earliest itadaki street games were sort of original characters and not much dragon quest stuff but after after the first dragon quest themed one all of the ones since then were just dragon quest and uh and other crossover characters in the itadaki street series so they've done at least 7 or 8 over the years but itadaki street has been around as a sort of monopoly pachisi style board game that have a lot of dragon quest characters in them uh, they did have one localized in the United in North America called Fortune Street for the Wii, but I didn't play that one. I've only really played the Pachisi mini games in a few Dragon Quest games. Have any, has anyone here played Fortune Street or any Itadaki Street? It's a friendship ruiner game. All right, <laughs> I'll elaborate on then. Uh, it. It's it's one of those few games that it kind of grows on you, but it, you have to know. Uh, it, it's uh, it's like um, oh gosh, uh, like Dokapon Kingdom in a way. Um, yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah it's it's kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, it's just either you get it and your friends don't, and you just roll all over them, or you kind of have to dub yourself down just like ah, I got I got I got to really just make sure my friends are having an enjoyable time. I don't want to beat them out too bad. Um, but it, it's exactly like one of those games. It's 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 Monopoly. With mini games, but you're controlling, you know, Fire Emblem characters, and and speaking of Fortune Street, it's just the Mario characters as well. But yeah, if you're if you're not careful, you you will ruin friendships with that game. One of the PS3 ones had uh, Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest characters crossing over, and there is a Switch one I think upcoming that also is very colorful and fun looking. But I again, I I mostly know these games exist and haven't really played them. But moving on down our list, did any of you guys play the DS game Dragon Quest Rocket Slime? I like it a lot. 
Okay, I guess I guess Nick and Kyle <laughs> haven't, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I have not played it. It's, I have not played it either. It's super Keep in mind, good. Seven was my first Dragon Quest game that I. Oh really yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. talking about it with you on a Random Encounter a year and a half ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, anyway, um, Rocket Slime is the second game in a trilogy, but it's the only one that was localized in English officially, and uh, the series in general is called Slime Mori Mori Dragon Quest. You in the you you control a, sl- a slime goes that you know goes on adventures involving only monster characters from the Dragon Quest universe and the action is top down sort of like an older Zelda game but w- with a lot of sort of you know uh use these items and monsters and and powers to navigate through the environment and at least the Rocket Slime the only one that I've played the DS one uh was really really cute and clever and fun I had a, I had a really good time with it uh, and I and really I like I'm, it's got toot and schleimen. Yeah, <laughs> there's, it's, it's got it has even more puns than like a than a regular dra- Dragon Quest game in English does. And I'm really sad we didn't get the 3DS one because that one replaces the tank battles with pirate ship battles, which sounds just delightful. I was hoping we would get that. I'm right? Feel sad about that. <laughs> I think it was, part of it was they could just localize everything for the DS because it was such a hugely popular console that people would that DS stuff sold extremely well during its heyday, but. Mm-hmm. Alas, we didn't get the GBA or 3DS games, only the DS one. But it was good. Mm-hmm. I I love those tank battles, and I love that game's sense of humor. It's just so um, offbeat and strange. I mean, it's a Toze game, and it feels very Toze. It's tough to describe Toze's feeling, uh, because they're usually like doing ports or... Um, uh, but like when they're allowed to kind of like run free with a concept, I kind of feel like they were doing that in in um, Rocket Slime. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the um, the, the legendary Starfy games, which are kind of Kirby esque, oh. but with um, with uh, a, a very strange sense of humor. Hmm. And I think there's there's parallels to be drawn uh, between the way um, each of those games handle their. Um, weird little world, and in this case, it's framed through Dragon Quest slimes, and who doesn't love them? Uh, that big goofy grin on their face is just so iconic. Oh, yeah, getting shot out of a cannon on that box—it's really good. <laughs> right, and um, I mean, continuing down our Dragon Quest track, there is the Mystery Dungeon series, which has a few original games, like the uh, uh, Shira and the Wanderers, technically a spin-off of Mystery Dungeon, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they, they, they all. But they also—it's a series of Japanese-made roguelikes with you know randomly generated dungeons. But they've had um, Chocobo Mystery Dungeon, Torneko Mystery Dungeon, and Torneko is a character in Dragon Quest IV, and uh, Young Shonen Yangus Mystery Dungeon, and Yangus is a character in Dragon Quest VIII. All star in their own Mystery Dungeon spinoffs. I have not played any of these, but I. I this know- began as a Dragon Quest spinoff. The very first Mystery oh. Dungeon game was Tornico's Big Adventure. Oh, okay. And then uh, Shirin was Mystery Dungeon 2. And then, you know, they kind of went off to their own respective series. There were a few I... more Tornico games, and then Shirin has kind of been the enduring thing that tunes off do without a license. Right. And uh, the Shirin game from, I want to say, two years ago, the Vita one, was yeah. really well-received. I know that uh, Rob... Yeah, I know that... I... You've told me how much you like it. I know that uh, Rob Steinman and Steven Myrink both adored that thing, and and both of them bugged me to play it since they know I had, I was a bit of a Vita stan. But uh, have you played any of the um, spin-off Mystery Dungeon games? Because I'm, I'm aware of them, but I have not played any. I've played the first Tornico, uh, which was on Super Famicom. Um, that is a very, very addictive game. Um, not quite as cruel as Shirin. Oh, and uh, um, for Dragon Quest fans, uh, Tornico is the Japanese name for Taloon, the merchant character in Dragon Quest IV. 
And in one of the later Dragon Quest games, they even call him Torneco Taloon, just to you know respect both versions. <laughs> they they brought the name Torneco back in the end because the Torneco, uh, I want to say Torneco, no, it was Torneco Two uh, was released on PlayStation in the West as Torneco: The Last Hope, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, right, sounds which right. it is like it's it's very much almost exactly like that um, uh, Super Famicom game, but with uh, um, recorded. Um, orchestral arrangements as the uh, as the music, um, and there was a third Tornico game on PS2. I didn't play that, and I didn't play Young Yangus either. But um, I'm I'm quite fond of those Tornico games. They're very cute. Um, they don't do it for me quite as much as uh, Sheeran does, but um, they um, they they do hold up pretty well. That's cool in uh, the Wire series. Now. Um... Now, uh, Nick and Kyle, have either of you played any of the Mystery Dungeon games? Because I know they're a little off the beaten path, and uh, and and neither of you are Dragon Quest fans to the level of Rob or I. No, well, I have played Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. Oh, okay. They, uh, right, they, there was a Pokemon one. Oh, what... yeah, they've done like uh, I want to say like three or four Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games. No, that's right. They did the DS, and there was a couple of 3DS. They did. Ones they did GBA DS. I think there were two on the DS, and then they did yeah at least one on the 3DS. Yeah. Right, and then the, and the, the, at least the most recent one, let you play as any of the starters or Pikachu, I think. Yeah, I know in the original one that I played for the DS, you took like a personality test and that determined which Pokemon you would be, mm. uh, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Just I like got Dragon Quest Three. <laughs> I got very addicted to that first Pokemon Mystery Dungeon game when I was growing up. Uh, it was uh, just, I don't know, uh, the, the loop... Uh, really got to me, and I loved exploring and seeing how far I could go without dying. Uh, and then, you know, of course, being, you know, upset when I did die because uh, it was a big loss of progress. Um, and I think, you know, for a Pokemon game, the story was actually not that bad. Um, um, I remember, like, I've only played that DS one. I remember this story gets like weirdly dark. It gets dark. Yeah, it gets really dark. And like you're you're like at the assembly point every morning, and that um I I'm terrible with any Pokemon past the first 151. But the Pokemon with like the speakers on his head, he's like having the assembly and shouting like smiles go for miles. And then like all of a sudden, there's like a drowsy who's a child predator who's kidnapping child Pokemon and making them do horrible things. And you're like, what oh, is nice. happening? Oh, no. Yeah, it's 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 you know typically I liked it, but it was very surprising. Yeah, it it was, uh, and I think some of it like went over my head as a kid uh and then i look back on it and i'm like oh wow that game was something else that Hmm. does sound like something else but let's go to something with i think at least has a more light-hearted tone uh nick you um brought up before we started recording you brought up the rune factory series which is a spin-off of harvest moon can you tell us a little bit about that and is it hopefully a little less dark than you know child predator drowsy uh, it is. So Rune Factory is more of an RPG-focused Harvest Moon. You level up and you fight monsters. Uh, and on top of that, you know, you do the regular Harvest Moon stuff. You take care of your farm, you take care of your livestock, you fish, you mine. Um, and I I liked the first one. There is one, I think it was the third one, where like you were like kind of like a werewolf, but I, I think it was like a sheep, maybe? Mm-hmm. Uh, Where's sheep? Yeah, like I could really be misremembering that. Uh, it almost sounds like that. a certain Wallace and Gromit movie. Yes, uh, the Wii version, which was Frontier. 
I put like maybe over 180 hours into that game. Uh, Is that the same as the PS3 version? I think maybe they did port it to the PS3, but I know there is one called Tides of Destiny. I I think is the name of the subtitle. That one was not very good. Okay, I think that's the one that I have and the only one that I've played, and I hated it. Yeah, it's really... That's actually when I stopped playing the series. There was uh, Room Factory 4... Uh, that came yeah, out. That's great. I wanted to play that, but every yeah, time I kind of want to play that one too. Uh, Our uh, um, friend of the park Factory came out. I was always just too poor to pick it up, and now they're like all rare. Yeah, yeah. Friend of the uh, podcast, Marcos Gaspar, has brought up Rune Factory Four multiple times to me. He he really likes that one, and it's I have a Luffy of people. Oh, really? So I guess they're up to something now because it's well, certainly they're, it's they're certainly they're gone now. They were oh, shuttered okay. maybe three years ago, yeah. but that was their last game. Huh. Well, now Rune I am Factory... intrigued. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I, I, I haven't played any Rune Factory or Harvest Moon game, or really any of these farming special games. Wow, that breaks my heart, but I won't go into that. Uh, no, I'm just teasing. Uh, the Rune Factory games were just very lighthearted and very fun. Um, I don't know, I, I liked the, the, the loop more than I liked Harvest Moon. I think it was because it was uh, fantastical, uh, and so the world was a little easier to get lost in. Um, but you know, if you, if you like Harvest Moon or um, Stardew Valley, uh, I think Stardew Valley takes after Rune Factory more than it does the original Harvest Moon series or uh, Story of Seasons. Um, it's it's a great game. It's a great series. Cool. So, uh, Kyle, have you played any Rune Factory or uh, uh, I guess fantasy farming games of its ilk? No, I, I can't say I have any, any right. um, thing in this out of there. The only thing I played was Dark Cloud. Um, I guess you can call that a spinoff in a way, but uh, I, I don't know how, if it's the same or not, but uh, I've not played it. I, I played the original uh, um, Harvest Moon 64, but nothing to do with Moon Factory. All right. So there's only one item left on our big list before we get to the second phase of this podcast, and that is Hearthstone and Gwent, the two-card game preposterously preposterously successful card game spin-offs of Warcraft and The Witcher respectively. Um now I know that there are a lot of enthusiastic Hearthstone players on RPG fan staff including Liz and Dom and uh the former uh Retro Encounter host Josh Curry. But are you, any of you guys Hearthstone fans? I like what I've played, but it I I haven't played too much of it. And, and also if you it's an enormous money sink beyond a certain point of of uh yeah. of casual that's what play. i'm afraid of that's why yeah. i haven't played it <laughs> that's uh it, it didn't happen to me but i stopped playing because it got addicting and that's the reason why i was scared of the game uh i had to stop because i knew i was gonna sink some money into it yeah it's it's very addictive gameplay right it uh, agreed it's it, it's a it's a cool little card get digital card game and has a fun a lot of fun you know warcraft themed you know, visual flair to it, uh, and also themes like like I mean, you basically pick a class that, that's one of the WoW classes and and play a deck based on that, which is a cool gimmick. But I mean, I I didn't play it very long because I was afraid it would just become a money sink. And even though I got out very very early, it I, I think I was basically I, I made the right call there. Uh, so are any of us Gwent players? I sadly only played a little bit of The Witcher 1 and hated it and have refused to try Witcher 2 or 3, which is very unfair of me. 
So I don't oh, know. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. know. I don't know a damn thing about Gwent. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know. I'm being stubborn and about it, but uh, and and playing Witcher two and three is on my short list of things that I'm sad I haven't played and I'm not sure I'll ever get um, to. I'd skip right to three. Okay. Well, you do hunt monsters in that game, and I am a fan of hunting monsters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but have any of us played Gwent? Because I I know it's been pretty successful, even though it's a relatively young entry into this card game spinoff of RPGs genre. I've played it in Witcher 3, and um, I am terrible at it. I don't really get it, and I'm not that interested in learning. So I, I don't think I'll be playing the outside of Witcher 3 Gwent anytime soon. All right, I uh, could not get into the Witcher 3 to save my life. I have tried like four different times. Hey, it's taken me three years. It's hmm. it's a... I, I don't know. I don't like the combat in that game. Um, I'm not even sure if I've ever played... If I ever even tried Gwent. I think... You might be forced to try it at some point very early on in the story. I think so, yeah. But then yeah, you and then after, after that, that, I was just like, "This, there is no way I'm playing this. This is not. This is not interesting to me." Um, so yeah, I'm not. I'm not too well versed in Gwent. And uh, Kyle, any thoughts on her on uh, Gwent beyond? Oh yeah, that exists. <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you are. I, I pretty much uh, almost eerily in the same boat as you are. I pretty much played the first Witcher and then like kind of wanted to play the second or third one have not done it i should but i haven't i i've, I've heard of gwent but i've never i've i've, I've probably never legitimately seen it played let's put it that way i remember at e3 in 2017 there was uh the uh the cd project people had gwent stuff available they were very eager to sell gwent to the uh attendees but sadly i haven't played it i didn't i didn't even check them out there I like that you can get a card of Roach stuck on a roof and Geralt looking confused. (laughs) That is cute. Yeah, to to reference a certain bug in Witcher 3. But um, yeah, I think that's adorable. I really like that. But um, it's just not for me. Right. Well, gentlemen, we've done it. We have gone through our big list of spinoffs that we compiled over the past couple days while planning this podcast. But now we're getting getting to the feature that I was a little bit more excited to talk about. In fact, I probably w- I wish I had cut some time to that <laughs> to the first segment to get to here because we've been talking for over an hour. But um here I want to hear your ideas for RPG spin-offs. Uh, you I asked you each to prepare a pitch for um a fictional or hypothetical spin-off to an existing series of RPGs and present it to the other panelists and we'll discuss what kind of potential it has. So uh, I'm really eager to um, to have you know each of you say aloud what you came up with. So is there, do we have a volunteer for who's going to go first? I'll go first. All right, Nick, hit us with your RPG spinoff pitch. Okay, so since Hearthstone is so addictive with its gameplay, I thought a Persona Hearthstone-style game would be very fun to play, uh, especially since there's such a big cast of actual Personas themselves. And you can, um, you can probably involve the major arcana of tarot cards or something in, in yeah, it, too. Yeah, uh, like, you know, maybe that's tied to, like, the uh, the decks that you get uh, for, you know, and which, which uh, tied to which personas are in that deck based on the arcana that you uh, choose. Oh, um, I, I was thinking that they could be, like, power-ups, like getting, like the getting a uh, tarot card bonus at the end of a fight. Oh, that that could be that could be good too. That, that was my assumption, but no, the Uriah is good too. Then again, you would have twenty-two different decks. That is, yeah, uh, and twelve of them would be DLC, probably. 
Um, but I think I think that would lend itself well to Persona. I was actually going over this last night with my boyfriend. He uh, was like, hey, you know, I really need to come up with an idea for the podcast. And we uh, were talking because he's playing Persona 5 right now and pretty sure it's his first Persona game. Uh, and oh, yikes. We, yeah, and we, we came up with that idea together. And uh, I actually kind of really want to play it now. Uh, I'm not sure how it would work story-wise. Um, you know, maybe people are gaining control of shadows the way that you gain control of personas. Uh, and you have to battle them or, you know, something. Who, who really cares? After Persona 4 Dancing All Night story, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I, I think that would be I think that would be fun. Cool. So um, Persona-themed card game on a digital platform similar to Hearthstone. Uh, Rob, what's your first reaction to that idea? I dig it. I dig it. Um, I'm bad at collectible card games, but um, <laughs> the Persona series has always been tied to a card motif, so I think it would be a very good fit. And um, it's the kind of thing that would probably get me uh, get me logging in and and uh, trying it out. I mean, it's been a while since um, Atlas have had an SMT game on PCs since that um, that MMO that's not running anymore. So. Um, it could be a nice little little free to play thing that they uh, now, now that Atlas is under Se- now that Atlas is under Sega, maybe they'd be mm. more amenable to the idea of releasing things on PC. I'm just saying because you know you got your your well, Valkyria Chronicles on PC, right? Oh right. yeah, we do. Don't we? I, I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying we could get more Atlas nice things on PC in the future. On on PC, that would be great if they yeah. made the jump to Steam, like all the other developers seem to be doing at the moment. Right. So, uh, uh, Kyle, what do you think of Nick's uh, Persona card game idea? You know, I think it's one of those things that uh, um, I feel like I would just dive right into because even though I haven't played a lot of the Persona games, it would be like a good like entry game to get me get myself into. Like the curious, like oh, that's a cool card. Or, like, uh, what was that one with? And like, oh, it belongs to Persona Three or Persona or this one or I mean, the Digital, Digital Devil Saga. Um, I I feel like I'd be like collecting the cards just to say I got the card. I don't know if I had a rare card or not, unless it actually told me. But, uh, oh, they usually tell you. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it's the same the same way it goes, is that I, it's just my... It, on a person that sits outside of the Persona realm so much that it would intrigue me to see like where this would go and like if this is a good thing, if this is a bad thing, if I want to be like one of those like elitists that like, I'm going to get these type of cards and play with these cards at all times. Um, but I, I definitely think it's it's a good pitch right there. It's something that I um, it would in, definitely intrigue my interest inside both the Persona game series and the actual uh, games itself. Now, uh, Rob, I know you're a fan of Persona too. So uh, imagine this theoretical card game play. You you have Maya. She summons Maya, and she's fighting the Maya, and it's in a Mayan temple that sunk from the underground. Oh Jesus Christ! Right? Mm-hmm. Didn't that <laughs> doesn't that literally happen in the game? Yeah, that is um, that's setting off all sorts of uh, lights in my in my eyes. Right on. So, uh, Rob, I'm, it's your turn next. Uh, we now we, same question as Nick, an RPG spinoff that is hypothetical, theoretical, unmade. What is the idea you have for us? Mara dating sim. No, um, that's Ooh. not it. Oh boy, that's a very uh, that's a very aggressive one sided dating sim. <laughs> give me um, give me a survival horror spinoff but wait you say isn't that what kadalka basically was well i'm not saying like uh like resident evil style like give me something like really really nasty like kind of like amnesia or outlast or white day and and, and you said you said kadalka so we're talking about shadow hearts 
Yeah, we're talking about Shadow Hearts. Oh boy. Oh boy. Have like a um my idea is like kind of like Fatal Frame 2 um or Project Zero 2 where like you're trapped in a Japanese village but like hmm, like a village in Asia that's beset by you know horrible that horrible sea hag creature or the spiders with fingers or the hopping dog mailmen who are just yeah, chasing God, you the, around the, the, I, I played shadow hearts covenant for the first time all, right around a year ago it was, it was yeah. february march of 2017 and it was for the podcast and it was the first time i'd ever played a shadow hearts game and the monsters designs in that game are effed up like they're whoa. pretty scary they're they're I, they're dark and weird and bizarre and sometimes they're like regular scary like you know big spiky monster scary and sometimes they're disturb you in the center of your brain scary it's it's something i guess it's like i guess what i'm looking for is like a run and hide game based around yokai but like shadow hearts version of yokai are just extremely nightmarish and and twisted um so um I would really like that kind of let's 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 be trapped in a horrible haunted village and um, have to um, have to survive the night and find a way out or find a way to break a curse um, at the same time. I would dig that a lot. Um, I think the the Yomawari games, which the latest one came out in October, um, I think they're kind of a similar vibe to that with their own monsters, but in sort of a cutesy style. Um, I haven't had a chance to play those. I'm afraid I've been meaning to. They look really cool. But um, yeah, just give me give me an excuse to see those nasty shadow hearts creatures um, in high def and hopping after me as I go and like hide under a pile of wood or like under a staircase or something, a la uh, a la White Day, and um, that'll that'll get me going for for Halloween. Cool. So, uh, Kyle, what do you think of Rob's Shadow Hearts survival horror idea? Have you played any of the Shadow Hearts games before? I have. I actually owned the very, very first one. Um, I did own the second one until the, the disc broke. Um, very bad day in my life. Well, 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 no, you still own it, except now it's in two halves, which is unfortunate. Well, the first one is I still own. The second one, I'm, it's probably somewhere in the waste bin somewhere back in time. But anyway, uh, I, I, as a big fan of uh, the Fatal Frame series, that that is absolutely something that I, I'd be highly interested in. Um, I'm I'm really into the uh, like the really dark. Not I can't really describe it. Um, the anime just came out as well for it, but uh, it's like the really messed up Japanese horror stories and everything that looks. Oh, so the visual. Jujito collection. Yeah, yeah, the, oh, that one. He, I love his. Stuff. I oh, I got I love that, and I can every, every my head just watching that, just like like inside the game, like oh my god, just get away from me, just please, just I gotta get. Rob, Rob what's the, what's the name of that Junji uh, character who's sort of this um, a high school girl who's like the object of everyone's desire. Tomie. Yeah, God, I read one Tomie story many years ago, and it still haunts me. That dude is. I really want to. I really want a Tomie game. Oh, oh <laughs> I don't God. know what it would entail. Oh, but I, I, I don't even know. I don't even know where to start with that. But it, oh man, that that like that dude's manga will haunt you. It does. <laughs> yeah, it does. So, uh, Nick, what did you think of Rob's pitch? So, unfortunately, I cannot play the run and hide type uh, horror games because I have like this really bad phobia of being watched and being like stalked. Uh, and I've tried Outlast, that terrified me. Tried uh, Resident Evil 7, terrified me. Um, what about Dead Space? Dead Space I actually <laughs> really liked. Uh, That's surprising. <laughs> it is, I think it's the dismemberment system that was in Dead Space, it was very empowering. So I did not mind uh, that. 
that being said, I love Fatal Frame 2. It's one of my favorite games ever. Uh, and I, cool. I could see that vibe, like that whole concept just working to like working beautifully. I think it's genius. I might not play it, but I would absolutely watch someone else play it. <laughs> have you played any of the Shadow Hearts games, Nick? I have played I played that uh the last one that they did, which was kind of like a spin-off itself. Kind of. It was From like very wacky. Yes, that one. Okay. Well, well uh, it's not really a spin-off, it's just the third one. <laughs> I thought, well, like tonally, isn't it wasn't it kind of a spin-off? Y- yes, I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah. Sure. There yeah. was there there was supposed to be a Shadow Hearts three, um, but that you know that got kiboshed when the team disbanded and then went off to work for for AQ Interactive. So, uh, yeah, that was intended to be like a spin off middle chapter, but you know it was just the final game in the end. So yeah, yeah, I I would absolutely I think that would be so much fun. Cool. All right, so Kyle, it's your turn. Give us your pitch for an RPG spin off. Or I should say, uh, spin off to an RPG. It's confusing. <laughs> so I uh, I was thinking about it, and uh, I, I once again I love Fire Emblem, um, but I also like the interactions you do between the characters. So I was kind of thinking of a game that um, and I was kind of going with my wife on this one because uh, she uh, she loves the Dungan Ropa series like obsessively, and uh, I was like, well, why why don't we just take like the character interactions between Fire Emblem and then make it like a Dungan Ropa esque thing. Uh, except you don't do any battles whatsoever. You just, it's pure, I, I, you could base it like a dating sim in a way, in a way, but it, based on your affinity between like some of the characters, like you're like this uh, head leader of the castle or your uh, kingdom or your company, if you will. And you could, could go around and talk to all these people, give them items and everything to, uh, you know, get up an affinity with you. So they like you more. And so they battle harder for you and everything, but you don't talk to like certain people. They'll, they'll have permadeath where you'll, they'll, they'll die in the field and hurt your army. And uh, you, 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 as a gamer, you can't do anything about it. it you can only just re- relent to say that I should have talked to that person that day at this hour or something like that. I should have gave him this item. Otherwise, they would have done better. And uh, it would, it would kind of still force you, like in the Fire Emblem games, to restart the game or restart to your save point, saying, well, let's just see if I can change this so I can keep him alive or something like that. And, um, and you're just going the day-to-day basis of just making sure that everyone in your castle, whether if it's like a new recruit or someone that's visiting, you're, you're making peace with them in some way or you're making sure that they don't really die. Um, some, something along those lines uh, of just doing. And I, I, I like, like the games that you take yourself out of the control of actually making that character like fight harder or do a better like combo or something like that. But realistically, it's how well you talk to them and see you know, how well your interactions were with them. And that decides the fate of the game and themselves. Okay, so when you're saying like Danganronpa gameplay, you're referring to, I, I, I'm guessing, less the Danganronpa trials and murders and more like the in-between yeah. hangout, the in-between hangout, yeah, hangout yep. get, give items around, uh, basically the dating sim part of it. Yeah, yeah, pra- practically, yes. So, I mean, that sounds like basically the Fire Emblem support system, but much more involved and more strategic. Exactly. It's it's basically you're still keeping the st- uh, strategic part of it, but you're not actually in command of the individual units. You're not command of their weapons or anything. You just you have to keep on talking to them. And I'm sure there'll be some mini games back and forth of just helping them out and doing a few other regiments and everything. But it, it's you taking yourself out of there. It's kind of like purely a strategy game, but taking less of the role playing side of it. Hmm, so it almost it's almost like a, a dating sim and a management sim for 
it, like basically just like yeah. turning up all of the side customization aspects of a modern Fire Emblem game just up to 11. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's interesting. So, uh, uh, Nick, you have played mostly the recent Fire Emblem games. What do you think of, uh, of Kyle's idea to, um, to modify it in that way as a spinoff? The, uh, the support system and you know, the dialogue between the characters and everything is actually my favorite part of that series from what I have played. So I'm totally in favor of this idea. I think it sounds like it could be a ton of fun. Uh, I like the angle that uh, they can die. They, you know, the permadeath is active and everything. Uh, that would encourage a lot of interaction with the characters and making sure that you know, you're talking to everyone, but at the same time, obviously you're going to play favorites. Uh, I, I like that. I could see that working. Cool. And uh, Rob, same question to you. What do you think of Kyle's idea? I like the idea quite a bit. It actually, um, it makes me, <laughs> the way that Kyle described it, um, it made me think of like a cross between um, Sakura Wars and Dragon Force. Oh, Dragon um, Force really for the Saturn? The, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> I a, really like the idea. That's a like weird a thing. I, li I like Dragon Force. Like a socially driven or like relationship mechanic based like grand strategy game. And I mean, it's so rare that we see like Japanese style grand strategy games anymore outside of like idea factories and scrutable messes. So um, a, a, um, a like a Fire Emblem style um, like kingdom management with um, making sure your guys are all right by being being uh, 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 being a leader to them on a very human level. I think it's a really cool idea. Right on. So all right, thanks Kyle and and Nick and Rob for presenting those ideas. Now it's my turn, I suppose. Late uh, on us, big guy. Yeah, I uh, I struggled with this a little bit. I just tried to think of, you know, series I like that could use reinvention and also some non-RPG styles of game that I like that, you know, could lend themselves well to a new setting. And I came up with, um, for the second half of that, I came up with open-world action games. Because if, if there's a single genre that I think defines the trends of the past... I don't know, say five or six years, it's open world action where, uh, I mean, you'll have your everything from a Red Dead Redemption to a Far Cry to a Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. There's something very empowering about a character being dropped into a giant open world that is where there's tremendous freedom to do a, num a very number of things, especially if the, char if the main character is well like is likable and the setting is, is intriguing. So, and the series I thought could... Um, would you know be well suited to that is a series that I love dearly but has not had a great past couple of years and that is the Saiken Densetsu series or Mana series. So my mm -hmm. pitch would be an open world action game where at the very beginning you're a young boy in a small village who who maybe finds a sword or meets a fairy or is set up on the quest from uh, in, in a very you know perhaps contrived way but then you're given a giant world in the uh, in the sort of visual style of the Mana series, and your goal is find the eight spirits and and ally with e with each of them, and then jump into the end game. But other than that, you have total freedom in a big, beautiful Mana world to explore. Ooh. So, uh, Rob, I know you're a longtime fan of this. Uh, you and you and I even were on a Encounter of Mana episode less a little less than a year ago, um, on on this very podcast. So, uh, what do you think of an open world Mana game? The Mana series has had a pretty rough track record over the past um, over the past decade or more. Oh yikes! Um, I would I would say past eighteen years. Yeah. Po post legend. 
Yeah, yeah, it has been bad longer than it was ever good. Um, and I think instead of like, you know, doing uh, ill-designed uh, spinoffs or whatever Psych and Densetsu 4, uh, Dawn of Mana was, was meant to be, um, that obviously didn't work. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, I, why not give it a shot in the arm and, um, try to, try to elevate it to, um, to that, you know, to that level of a, of a big open world with a lot to do. I think it would have legs and I think, um, you know, people are clamoring for mana. I mean, not loads of people, but it's still very beloved and it's got a, it's got a very big fan base. And, and I think, you know, go big or go home square, do something, do something along those lines. I could, I could dig it. I would lose myself in that. You know, I love, I love that world. I love rabbits. I love, I love them all. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, there's a bunch of, a bunch of weapons and, and, uh, and stuff in, at least in just in secret of mana two and three, I mean, sorry, in second and two and three. And the world is big and colorful. Yeah, and the monsters are cool. Every time I play one of those games and I've played second and three, mm. like five times, I just want to spend more time in that world. Yeah, I mean, let me tell you, I'm not hearing good things about that Secret of Mana remake, um, but I still kind of want to play it. <laughs> I, I really like that world. Yeah, it, it's received a bit of a lukewarm uh, reception, maybe even a slightly negative one. But there's there's a lot of talk around it and a lot of enthusiasm around it. So I, I think mm -hmm. that fans are thirsty for more mana. Mm. So, um, Kyle, if I'm not mistaken, you're playing that <laughs> Secret of Mana remake on stream at least the past couple of weeks, correct? Uh, yeah, I actually have been. Um, between, you know, and I agree with you, I, I, one of my first RPGs out there uh, that I probably practically ever played was the Secret of Mana series. Now, uh, with, with that being said, I absolutely love the game. Um, I love your concept. And if you make it open world, like it, it would be definitely something I can just hop right into. And I could definitely see that happening. And I, I think we are thirsty for more, for ma for more mana in, in more ways than one. Cause I, I love the summons. I love everything in general. I love, I love everything that I would feel is, is just makes that game. It, it, it's just so colorful. Dang it. <laughs> I don't get, I don't get it. But, you know, the digress to what I've been playing for is the remake, you know, it's it's oddly it's oddly inspiring good. I mean, it's one it has everything that you can never want in the game. It's full voiceovers and everything. Everyone has got a freaking voice. Um, and if I can see that in an open world game, like if I can see like some of the good stuff they take from them from the remake and apply it to what your uh, what your spinoff is. I can I can see it happening if they can keep that oh uh, maybe two D style in a way but not completely three D. I I definitely feel that you know something a little bit they make from the remake and just shove it into what your ideas for your game is. They can make something work out for sure. Cool. And uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on my on the last pitch of this podcast? As someone who's never really played uh, the Mana games, I absolutely would just dive right into this uh, because I love the genre of open world action games but yeah it, it would get me interested in the mana series i think and encourage me to go back and play those games okay now excuse me for uh picking on you a little bit nick but you did review one i of... did a review adventures of mana yes. right and 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 um and uh, forgive me i i don't have the review in front of me you you were mostly positive on that correct i did i really enjoyed that um i wasn't sure like how close that sticks to the regular mana formula it's very um, faithful to the original game boy game but um the games that came after it started doing doing different things yeah that's that's kind of what i thought 
and I liked exploring that. It was more like a um, top-down Zelda kind kind of game, mm -hmm. uh, from what I remember playing of it when I did the review. Cool. Well, oh man, we've been all over the map today. We went over close to twenty. Um, RPG spin-offs that are among our favorites or that we could at least think of in 48 hours before recording. And then we each pitched uh, a total of four hypothetical RPG spin-offs just to, you know, give listeners an idea of what our imaginations end up at when we think about our favorite RPG series and where the, and what could happen if they went a different direction. But I think we've spoken enough today. We're almost at the two-hour mark, and I wanted to keep it under that, that amount. So forgive me if we, you know... Start for the home stretch now. Uh, now some housekeeping. Next week on Retro Encounter, we have the first episode of our Planescape Torment uh, series. I say series, but really it's just two episodes. So that's the official um, game journal game for March. Uh, Keegan is hosting those two episodes, and I know he's a big fan of that game. So if you want to hear about um, a very, very involved, text-heavy, um, like, cult hit Western RPG from 1999, those episodes will be 100% up your alley. And also, we have a companion episode to this episode coming in, I think, two weeks, if the schedule holds, where we talk about the reverse of RPG spinoffs, RPG adaptations of non-RPGs. Uh, in that episode, we might discuss the Mario RPGs, we might discuss the Mega Man Battle Network series, things of that nature, and I think it'll also end in the panelists pitching hypothetical RPG adaptations. Um, we do have plans happening for April. It's going to be a themed month, but I, uh, we don't have every plan set in stone yet, so I don't want to reveal it yet. But um, there will be a themed month of four podcasts for Retro Encounter appearing in April. And I think that uh, possibly all of us might be involved in those episodes, If I'm, because uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about when I mean the themed month in April. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, okay. It's wink. Yep. Uh there's a site-wide plan happening in April and we will have four retro encounter episodes following that plan if everything happens on schedule. Four episodes all about beyond the beyond. Oh god. I would rather spend that entire four <laughs> episodes talking about literally every other Camelot game. Because then we would at least be talking about what? Uh like Mario Golf and uh uh what a Golden Sun, right? Yeah. Yeah, Dragon Beyond the Beyond. Game. God, so many good games from a studio, and Beyond the Beyond is the one that we keep talking about in a Retro Encounter. I'm almost embarrassed. Can't get enough of it. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, now, I know that game is probably from before Nick was born. It's a it's an early PS1 <laughs> RPG that is not worth yeah. discussing one bit. No, I actually remember playing a little bit of that. How uh, dare you? That. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was not, not too fond of it. So that's the, well, that, I think that's the accurate opinion, but okay, we, we, let's move off this Beyond the Beyond train, please. That's a game that does not ever need a spinoff. But uh, listeners, if you want to get in contact with us, the best, the best way to do so is to email retro at RPGfan.com. You can also visit the RPGfan.com forums, the RPGfan.com Twitter, or the RPGfan Facebook page. Those are all great ways to find us. Please review us on iTunes or Google Play or however you're listening to us. Those reviews help us a lot, and we read everything directed to us, whether it's a Facebook message or an email or an iTunes review. We love all the feedback. Preferably constructive, but even if it's rude feedback, we'll, we will at least read it. So, um, starting with you, Kyle, what is the best way uh, listeners can find you? Well, um, I'm always on Twitch, uh, Tuesdays, uh, Thursdays and Fridays. Um, I don't have a particular email I can 
publicly give out um, right now. You don't, you don't uh, have it, a site email? Uh, not yet. It's it's in the works. Um, but, <laughs> okay. Uh, if anything, uh, if you guys just stop by our Twitch channel uh, every Thursday and Friday night from 6 to 9 Eastern Standard, um, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., that is. Uh, I'll be there um, with some game at some point or another. I'm playing Secret of Mana Remake right now. So uh, on, on uh, both nights or just Fridays? On both nights. Okay, uh, cool. On Thursday night, it would be by myself. My wife is playing with me on Friday as a co-op. So uh, uh, we're getting through that game a little faster than we expected to. Uh, but you know what? Uh, we're, we're still going to make it fun. Uh, and, you know, perhaps unfairly of me, um, I we, we don't uh, plug the streaming much on Retro Encounter, and that's mostly because we don't have a lot of streamers on appear on Retro Encounter. I mean, uh, just a few weeks ago, we did have Caitlin talk about her Okami HD streaming, but uh, basically, I think six nights a week, or no, no, maybe seven nights a week, we do have streaming going on on the RPG Fan Twitch page. It's usually some combination of Kyle, Caitlin, Kristoff, uh, or Scott playing um, various games. At the time of recording, we have Secret of Mana, from uh, uh, from Kyle uh, Okami, from Caitlin, looks like Alundra from Kristoff. Yep. There's a, a lot of stuff going on at all times during the on the Twitch channels on the excuse me on the RPG fan Twitch channel. But um, enough about streaming. Rob, what is the best way for listeners to contact you? You can find me getting into trouble on Twitter at MissanthroBob. Um, we can get into trouble together. It'll be a fun time. Um, I recently got Instagram as well. I don't really know how to use it, but you can find me on Instagram as Sticky Lake. Oh my! <laughs> What'd you say? That was Sticky Lake. Sticky Lake. Okay. Okay. If I was a drag queen, that would be my name. That's that's pretty good. Wait, would you Would you also star in a um, in a uh, John Waters adaptation of Hairspray? It would It would probably be closer to Multiple Maniacs, but yeah, okay, I'd, okay. I'd, I'd do something with John Waters. All right. That that was a very <laughs> awkwardly po- presented Ricky Lake joke for listeners yes, that do, that are not you know as attached to Baltimore or John Waters as I am. Uh, so Nick, um, if listeners want to get in contact with you, what is the best way for them to do so? The best way is to email me at nickr at rpgvan.com, but you can also find me on Twitter at the Ezio Kinway. Okay, and uh, for me personally. Let's see. Uh, if you want to reach me on the forums, I am Monsoon on the forums. On Twitter, I am at the real Monsoon most of the time, and at Evoker for Dogs when I am nerding about about Japanese superheroes. And uh, on, I guess we haven't mentioned this yet, the RPG Fan Discord. I am Monsoon Mike, and uh, the RPG Fan Discord. If you want to get in, into that, I think it is open to the public. But if you need some special permission to get on it, you can just hit the forums, and Greg will, our forum moderator, will set you up. That uh, Discord is so popping that I I don't visit it enough to catch everything that goes on. It's a it's a very active Discord, probably more active than the forums are nowadays, which makes me feel a little old, honestly, because I don't engage with Discord as much as I do uh, Twitter or our various other social media platforms. Um, but that's I think about it for RPG spinoffs of RPG fans retro encounter. Listeners, thank you. Good night and good luck. <laughs>